أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قد أفلح المؤمنون الذين هم في صلاتهم خاشعون والذين هم عن اللغو معرضون والذين هم للزكاة فاعلون والذين هم لفروجهم حافظون إلا على أزواجهم أو ما ملكت أيمانهم فإنهم غير ملومين فمن ابتغى وراء ذلك فأولئك هم العادون رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Yesterday we spoke about the first two ayat of Surah Al-Mu'minun قد أفلح المؤمنون الذين هم في صلاتهم خاشعون Today we're going to be going as far as we can hopefully um, with the rest of the passage beginning with والذين هم عن اللغو معرضون And those of you that have a particular interest in the Arabic language, there's some interesting nuances within this ayah. In Jumla Ismiya, you have the concept of Mubtada, and you have Khabr, and you have Muta'alliq Khabr. There are three components of a sentence in Arabic. And the standard sequence is Mubtada, and then Khabr, and then Muta'alliq Khabr. What would that imply is, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ مُعْلِضُونَ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ That's the standard order of a sentence. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shuffles this sentence. And He puts anil laghwi first. So the way it should be translated because of this shuffle, I'm mentioning all of this because there's an impact on how we understand the meaning of the ayah. Typically it's translated those who refrain from vainful you know, activities in vain, or speech that is vain, that is useless. But it actually implies those who especially in regards to al-laghw, which means useless activity or speech. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Especially in regards to it, they ignore it. They stay away from it. They, they you know, take special precaution to rid themselves of situations that involve Allahu. So what is Allahu? Allahu in the Arabic language, it refers to something that doesn't have any benefit. In the religious sense, it refers to something that has no benefit in your deen, and has no benefit in your dunya. Like you know, you go to work. Perhaps it's not a religious experience, but it's not lahu because it has some benefit. You're there for a purpose. You go to school, there's a purpose, right? You're playing sports, at least there's some health benefit. There's something there. But when you engage in activities that have no benefit in your worldly life, and have no benefit in the hereafter, first and foremost in forms of speech, and secondly in forms of any other activity, this would be under al-lahu. So the true believer is defined as someone who first of all focuses and is humble and overpowered in their salah. And second, that they have this characteristic of being almost allergic, you could say, to any situation of Allahu. Now, practically what that means is for you and me, a lot of times, we don't, we can't even re, we don't even realize that we're engaging in such activity. Small talk, unnecessary, you know, just cracking jokes here and there. Now, making a joke here and there is okay. But if you're spending a half hour talking about just nothing, just hanging out, chilling, right? Now, you could argue, well, I'm not doing anything haram, I'm just hanging out with my friends. And we're just going out for some sandwiches. But we're, you know, that whole entire trip, and that whole entire hangout session has no benefit in deen or dunya. 
except the food, then this was lahu. So you even use that opportunity to be among friends, to spend time with each other, to actually refrain from, you know, wasteful speech. Speech that has no benefit whatsoever. You know, a lot of times, people are involved in different industries. Like for example, there are people that are all programmers, and they, all, they kind of naturally tend to have programmer friends. And accountants have accountant friends, because they're on this, in the same industry. Doctors have medical student friends, right? And it happens, business people have business friends. And it just, you know, we form these professional acquaintances. And what happens is when you're sitting together in lunch break, what are you talking about if you're a techie? You're talking about the new software release that just came out, or the new version of what language just came out, or, you know, how the standards are changing and the protocols are changing, or the job market is hot over there and soft over here and stuff like that. Right? That's your entire half hour spent talking about that. If you're among friends, you're into video games or something, and I'm guilty of this too, among youth, you know, you're, you're talking about you know, what new game came out and man, it wasn't any good and the ending was boring and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, just spend, you could spend endless amounts of hours just talking about this stuff. And now, subhanAllah, shaitan has worked hard and produced new activities, new opportunities for us to engage in lahu by means of online role-playing games and you know, all of these, you know, literally you could sit behind a screen for hours in your virtual life where you're known as, you know, something Muslim X5 or something, and you're riding a spaceship, and, you know, building your empire on some planet, and you're just, you're in it for like hours and hours, and you have no idea what's going on in the real world, right? And th this is happening, this is very, very real. Youth are involved in this kind of stuff all the time. And now there's, you know, other opportunities for, for Lahu, like Facebook, or MySpace. My goodness, I got onto Facebook, about a month ago in order to get in touch with some friends and to promote some Arabic classes and things like that online. I get on not two minutes after signing on, people I have no idea, men and women, I get emails, Fulan and Fulan wants to be your friend on Facebook. I don't want to be your friend on Facebook, I don't want to be your friend in life. <laughs> Leave me alone. But you know, teenagers are on these things with d different screen names, not their real names, and they're on there and they have these double lives where they're getting to meet boys and girls and all kinds of crazy stuff is going on in the Muslim living room, in their bedroom. Because the computer is sitting there. So we've given them opportunities for Allah. We've given them such opportunities. So one has to really, if you want to practically tackle this issue, you know we don't talk about the ayat of Qur'an in a vacuum when they say the believer stays away from Allah. We have to address what are the forms of Allah, the attacks of shaitan by which he indulges the believer in wasting their time in our times. What are his attacks? If we don't understand his attacks, we can't defend against them. So what are the attacks in our times? It's the, the profuse use of the internet. It's the addiction to YouTube. What's the top video today? Right? What came out? And then, you know, there's, there's this addiction to television of, of TV series. Oh my God, what's going to happen in the next episode? You know, and you can't wait and you're discussing it with your co-workers because it's the season finale or the season premiere or something. And it's ridiculous. I mean, this culture has been, it's been so exaggerated. You know, a few years, maybe 10 years ago it was about sports, playoffs and things like that. They used to be a big deal in media culture. Nowadays, you know, when I was way back, I mean, four or five years ago when I was in corporate, you know, people used to watch, I think it was Survivor. And my co-workers, all non-Muslims, that all, that's all they could talk about. Man, did you see Survivor last night? And one's like, man, no, I got stuck in traffic. I can't believe it. You know, did you record it for me? And this is their whole life. Is, you know, these shows and these entertainment forums, and they're just addicted to them. Their entire lives are spent around them. 
And then it's, it's incredible because there's such zombies. Muslims fall into this trap too. We become such zombies, then we end up buying their t-shirts and you know, their paraphernalia and the action figures and you know, our kids want their video games. Uh, you know, Spider-Man came out, you want to get a Spider-Man video game and then Spider-Man action figure and a Spider-Man t-shirt and you know, it just keeps going and going and going, right? But it, this is this in, entire web of, of a trap that we've put our youth into. Where does it all begin though? What's the root of it? The root of it is a careless exposure to media. That's what the root of it is in our times. In our times, most of the evil that our kids and ourselves are exposed to is not because we go out to a club, because we don't have to. We can just watch a club sitting at home. Right? We, it's not that we go out you know, to these fahshat places or we go hang out in these promiscuous places. We don't need to, because all of that is virtually available. Right? So it's really the careless, the careless use of media inside the home. And especially for parents, we have to be extra, extra careful what our kids watch, how much they watch, what they're exposed to. We don't even know. I mean, wallahi, the stuff, I mean, uh, these are two things that are connected together, so I'm mentioning them together. Allahu, the next two ayat also, وَالَّذِينَهُمْ لِلزَّكَاةِ فَاعِلُونَ and وَالَّذِينَهُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ These are all connected things. One leads to the other. Allahu is a waste of time. The believer knows time's running out. The most precious asset you and I have is our time. And so if we start wasting our time, that's a proof that something's wrong with our iman. We don't realize the value of this time. You know, if you were taking an exam the next day, there's a final exam for your last class before graduation, and if you've missed this exam or you mess up on this exam, you're gonna be set, you know, you're gonna be delayed for another year or something. And that the night before or hour an hour before you're sitting there watching you know, movies or playing a video game, you'd have to be crazy. You must not care about your exam, right? Because there's a sense of urgency. You're not gonna see a serious student do that. You're gonna see them working hard. If you got a new job and your boss gave you a deadline for a project and you're two, three hours away before submitting it, you're gonna spend the entire night in the office because it's work, you gotta do it. It's important, there's a deadline. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gave us certain things we have to do within a deadline. But the crazy thing is, Allah didn't tell you and me what my deadline is and what your deadline is. That deadline is death. But Allah kept it a secret subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're constantly in a state of emergency. To acquire more and more good and to get away from more and more evil. Right? And this sense of urgency can be lost. And you can retain it by retaining a relationship with Quran. So this is, you know, if you don't have that sense of urgency, then you got time. You got time to kill, you can hang out and do whatever. And I'm not saying you have to shut down your life and be in depression all the time, worried about hellfire, because the believer had balance, right? There's hope and there's fear. But at the same time, we've become way too lax. We're the extreme on the lax side. We're wasting way too much time in our lives, not paying attention to where it's going. So, Then he says, And also the construction of this ayah, the way it's formulated, is beautiful. It covers two things at the same time. As zakah you all know, even if you don't know the rest of the ayah, you heard the word zakah, right? So you obviously got the sense, these are the people that take care of their zakah. But you know, there's a fi'il that goes with zakah usually in the Qur'an, which is mu'toon or yu'tuna. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِلزَّكَاةِ Or الزَّكَاةِ yu'tuna. You don't even need the lamb there anymore. Okay, because it because serves as maf'ul bihi. Here Allah uses the harf jad lam, zakati. And instead of saying mu'tun, He says fa'ilun. Which tells us two things. They're actively engaged in the purification of their wealth, which is one implication, because still zakah is the universal term. But also zakah in its generic sense. What does zakat mean? It means purification. So they are actively involved towards purification. 
They have a goal to purify themselves and they're actively involved in it. And there's another nuance in this ayah that's very beautiful. You know the word, uh, the, the ism, or a noun simply speaking in English, a noun is stronger than a verb. You know a verb is like, he did, right? And a noun is like the doer, right? Or he worked is a verb, and the worker is a noun. Which one is more permanent? A worker is always a worker, right? But if he worked, that's in the past tense, that's not necessarily a guarantee for the present tense, right? Allah sometimes He uses the nominal form, the noun form, the ism form, sometimes He uses the fi'il form. And when He uses the ism form, it denotes permanence. So what He's saying by using the word fa'ilun instead of yaf'alun, is that they're constantly engaged in attempts to purify themselves. And then also there's another nuance here, because there are two words for, for working, for doing things. To do action, there is you know, amal, amilun, and there's fa'ilun, fi'il. There's amal and there's fi'il. Both of them are translated as action. Okay? Yaf'alu he does, ya'malu he does. Or he works, either way. So what's the difference between them? See, amal is something you think about it and then you do it. And a fi'l is something that comes to you so naturally, it's like second nature. Like breathing is a fi'l, it's not a amal, it is a fi'l. Because you don't have to think about it, you just do it. When you take one step after another when you're walking, this is a fi'l. The mashia is a fi'l. Why? Because you don't have to process it. Should I put the left foot first, or right foot? You know, you don't have to think about that. So the act of seeing, the act of hearing, that, that come to us naturally, effortlessly, these are fi'l. So what is Allah saying about the true believer? Their efforts to purify themselves come to them naturally. It's not something they're uncomfortable with, it's part of their daily routine, almost like breathing. And what it also implies is, the one day they miss out on their routine, they feel uncomfortable, like something's missing, you know? The acts that they do, they, they, these acts of purification come to them so naturally, when they're not engaged in them, they're uncomfortable. So what are these acts, these proactive behaviors that make us purified? The easiest ones that you could start off with is good company. And of course, you're not going to find good company anywhere in our times except at the masjid. The fortunate few that are, that are concerned with good company will all be together at the masjid. And I dare to say it's not going to be the MSA, I'm sorry. Okay? It's going to be the MSA in some limited respect, but if you know what's happening at the MSA nowadays, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what the MSA is, say Alhamdulillah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it's, there's good there, but there's still a lot of fitna there, right? It's, a lot of kids go to the MSA as a, as a resource, they're going to learn something about their deen, but it's kind of the deaf leading the blind sometimes, it's, it's, it's problematic. The safe haven for the Muslim is... The masjid. That's the divine institution that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted this ummah. So that's the first thing. You want to remain pure, you stay in the company of those will, that will better you. Kunu ma'as sadiqeen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Then the other thing you can do is, you have to become a, peop, a person of dhikr. Meaning, you have a daily regiment of you're going to recite certain amount of Qur'an. You're going, you're going to make certain adhkar from the sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You're going to make the dua before you enter the house and you leave the house and you go in the bathroom and you come out of the bathroom and you put your clothes on and you... You know, all of these different duas that the messenger made sallallahu alayhi wasallam. these are not extras. They're really important in keeping us pure. Because they keep Allah's thought, Allah's remembrance conscious in our minds, right? So the first was good company and the second is to memorize the important adhkar. And also included in that is at least a daily you know, uh, segment of recitation of Qur'an. That has to be part of our routine. Now this is the starting point. Then you can only graduate and advance from here. But don't think too high yet. At least establish these goals and then we'll worry about more.
right? A lot of times what happens is we set our goals on the 20th floor and we, we, you know, we haven't even entered the building yet. Right? So it's, it's kind of problematic. So set yourself some simple goals. You know, don't recite, recite three juz of Qur'an a day. You know, I'm not asking you for that. Start small, even a page, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, something. Start somewhere. You know, don't set your goal so high, you know what, I'm gonna do this thing. And you recite one day, you're sitting there 40 minutes reciting Qur'an and you're not used to it. Guess what, the next day you're not gonna do it. Because you're not used to it. You're burnt out the first day. We don't want that. You know, the best of the deeds are the ones that are continuous. That have continuity in them. So take it easy on yourself and build it slowly, inshaAllah ta'ala. Part of this also that I would highly recommend, just to build a love and affection for Qur'an, is on a daily basis, Muslims have to try and memorize at least an ayah of Qur'an. And if you take it very lightly, like after Fajr, 10-15 minutes, that you can you know, take on and just memorize just one ayah. Or you're, if you're commuting on the train, that's even easier. Driving is kind of hard. They do have some CDs that repeat the ayat. Or I'm sure you can make the MP3s are pretty tech savvy. Right? Where the ayat are repeated and you can kind of listen to them over and over again. But if you're, if you're commuting on the train especially, then just keep the Qur'an with you, or at least keep a juz with you, and you're just reading an ayah 10-15 times, the same ayah over and over again. Before you get to work, you know the ayah by heart. And you come back and you do that, now you know two ayat by heart a day. And within a month, you know a whole juz of Qur'an. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it sounds remarkable, but that's what happens. If you make a routine out of it. You're not doing anything else with that time except snoozing, so might as well use it for that. By the way, don't try to do that while you're driving. <laughs> I've seen some people do that, and it's, I don't recommend it, inshallah. It doesn't make you more religious, okay. <laughs> so let's just clarify that. Anyway, so, وَهُمْ لِلزَّكَاتِ فَاعِلُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ And they are the ones that in regards to their privates, they guard them. And you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have put this ayah in more subtle terms. لِحَيَائِهِمْ Right? The, the, Allah could have said, in regards to their shame, they guard their shame. He didn't say that. He went straight at the subject, at the heart of the subject and said, He said, they guard their private parts. It's a very graphic ayah. And why is it like that? Because the subject has to be taken head on. You have to understand the, the seriousness of this subject, including myself. And how easy this attack of shaitan can infiltrate and destroy the iman of a believer. You see, the shaitan is not concerned that the guy that's dancing away at the club or drinking away at the bar or taking some shots of drugs that he's gonna end up doing something shameless. He's not worried about them, because they're already on track. He is worried about the loose ends, the sales that he hasn't made yet. Those are the believers. That's who he's concerned with. So the more a believer tries to purify himself, the more he or she will find that the opportunities to engage in shamelessness are throwing themselves at him. Throwing themselves at him. Women out of nowhere will come up to you and say, Hi, how are you? Out of nowhere, and you know you have a beard and you're trying to look unattractive, you know, trying to save yourself in society. But you know shaitan will come to these women and say, hey by the way, I've got one of my key prospects here, why don't you go say hello or smile at them. You know, when you, when you serve them at the counter, just give them an extra smile. Right? Or make small talk or something. They will try to mess with you. The shayateen will try to mess with you by means of other things, right? And you know, this is something you have to be extra, extra careful of. Because the easiest thing for you to lose is your sensitivity to shamelessness. In a society where shamelessness is as common as the air we breathe. It's just part of the culture. 
Women barely dressed at the grocery store, just get used to it, you know. The first day you come from Saudi or Pakistan or some religious village in Egypt, and you come here, the first few months you're like, Astaghfirullah, 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 Astaghfirullah. And you get to know the pavement really well, because you don't look anywhere else, right? You know every crack that comes your way. But after a while, you kinda, you know, it's life, what are you gonna do, you know? I came, you know, I, my early schooling was in Saudi. All boys school, all male teachers, and you know, and my, I come here and my parents, may Allah reward them, they put me in high school, right? Public high school in Queens. So I go into Queens, and I walk into the classroom, and there's men, and these girls are barely dressed, and I'm completely embarrassed. I mean, I'm, my face is red, I don't know what to do, maybe I'm in the wrong place or something, right? And those first few months were insane for me. I wouldn't even touch the railings to go up the stairs because Najas people have touched them. You know, these people are, you know, in the Najas. So, you know, but you know what happens over time? Oh, what's the big deal? Let's just, you know, that's just life. What are you gonna do? How long are you gonna fight it? So you have this culture shock and eventually you get over it and it becomes part of the norm. That's exactly what we don't want. That's not what we want. Because as soon as, the dis- as soon as the believer becomes, you know, desensitized to evil, to fahsha, then his iman is in trouble. And her iman is in trouble. You know, our, nowadays an example of that, uh, you know, kids will say, we're gonna go see this movie. It's only PG-13. Or it only has one bad scene. And we're renting a movie, it's got a bad scene, yeah, but we're gonna forward the part. <laughs> right? No, really. And, and, and you, the parents say, oh yeah, just PG-13, yeah. Some sexual content, that's not a lot of sexual content, it's just some sexual content. I'm, I'm saying this explicitly because this is the reality. Our kids are going to watch these things. And the parents are endorsing them. They're okay with it. Now the new thing that's come out is, you know, wallahi, I heard this in, uh, at our own Sunday school, and this is not the exception, this is the norm. You know, kids around the country, they don't talk to the Muslim you know, leaders, their teachers, their peers, they talk to each other. So you have to spy on them a little bit. So I had this habit of spying on kids, you know. And so I'd be around the back and the kids are talking, my mom let me buy a game that's NC-17. Man, it's awesome, you guys, he's cursing and everything. And they're real, they're real proud of it too, right? And they got it for Eid, subhanAllah. We're <laughs> celebrating the, you know, the obedience to Allah with <laughs> fahsha and disobedience. So we have to, you know, this is serious, serious stuff. Once you are desensitized to what you see on the screen, then you have, the, the only logical next step is, you will not lower your eyes when you're walking down the street. And the logical next step is, you're going to try to do what the people on the screen do. Right? And it's just one step after another. And it's just a downward spiral. So how do you counter this culture? How do you fight this thing? You fight this thing first of all by taking probably the most difficult step you will in your, in your adult life is to cut TV off. It's a very difficult step. It's the, I, I, can, I can tell you if you're used to it, it's not easy, right? But we as Muslim families, for the sake of our children and our own dignity as Muslims, we have to do it. We have to cut TV out. If you want the news, go to, go to the dot coms, right? And avoid the banner ads even there. But you know, there's ways of getting the news. There's still the radio, alhamdulillah, it's still in place, and it still tells you the news, right? You can get in the, the excuses that I used to get a few years ago before you know, the, the media on the web spread like the, like the way it did. It used to be, well, how are we going to get the news? If, you know, the, you know, 
we we need to listen to CNN and Fox. I was like, you don't need to listen to CNN and Fox. But even if that's your excuse, that excuse is dead now because better media outlets for the news and information are available online. Probably you get more reliable information online than you do on television, right? So, you know, get rid of those excuses and clean up your house. Don't get your children a portable video iPod. Don't get them a video iPod because you don't know what they can put on there. They can put stuff on there and hide it in folders you don't even know exist. They're very smart. They can name it directory like, you know, uh, root or system or, you know, they'll name it something creative. Ah, this is just, you know, information files. <laughs> and it's in there. You have to understand, our kids are very, very smart. They're sharp. And they're on top of technology, the latest means. So you have to, you know, watch out for this. There's new statistics out about these video players that you know that children are bringing to schools and get they're getting confiscated and they're being looked at and most of them have pornography in them with children elementary school so this is serious business this is not a joke and this is not the children of the kuffar alone don't think like that don't think that your oh, I come from a muslim family our kids don't do those things please let's everybody wake up okay if the children of yaqub alayhi salam can get to the point of being willing to kill their brother who are children of a prophet and grandchildren of a prophet and great-grandchildren of a prophet they are sons of Yaqub grandsons of who? Ishaq great-grandsons of who? Ibrahim if they can't argue Yaqub is not saying they come from a good family they wouldn't do anything bad because he doesn't have that argument righteousness is not inherited in bloodlines and if, they're, if they can do something bad, none of our families are pure enough. Because they're three generations of prophets. Right? You can't say, oh, we're from this family or that family, or our last name is this, and we brought the pure bloodlines here, so our children are, are free of these temptations. They have these temptations. And we have to make sure that they fight them. And this is also, if it's not a concern for yourself, it will not trickle down to your children. You have to have that concern yourself. A lot of times I've seen the hypocrisy, the nifaq inside the household. Parents are watching something, the kids come and say, hey, leave the room. This is not for you. This is not for little kids, it's for us to watch this stuff. You know? And the kids, they, they talk, you befriend them, they talk, yeah, my mom watches, and my dad watches these movies, you know, there's a lot of singing and dancing in it. But I just hear about it because they don't let me watch it. You know? But I know all the songs by heart. Because I've heard them so many times. And this is the hypocrisy inside the house of the Muslim. It's insane. So we have to understand, this is serious stuff. And it will have very, very negative consequences later on. It's, it's bad enough for our deen, but it will ruin your dunya. And let me tell you some horror stories. I'm not going to name anybody specific or tell you any specific story. But it's happened to me more than a dozen times. That parents have come up to me when I've given a talk like this and said, can you talk to my teenage son? Can you talk to my daughter? She's got some problems. She's not listening to me anymore. And I think they've got, she's got some boy problems or some girl problems, right? And you know why that happened? Because now that they're teenagers and they're independent, it's too late, the ship has already sailed. When they were under your midst, you didn't care. You were putting the extra hours in at work, so you can put the down payment in for the house. And the wife was also doing some work somewhere else, so the, baby, the cable TV was babysitting the child. And now that they have the power to act out what they've been watching all along, their shaykh on TV has been doing that all along, and now they're acting it out, now you're surprised. Don't be surprised. They're just doing taqlid of what they've, you know, the dars they've been getting every day. That's what it is. It's not, it's not a surprise. How could they do this to me? How could you do this to them? 
They didn't do this to you, you did this to them. You programmed, programmed them this way. Just because we have Muslim names, if we are part of the same exact culture that everybody else is a part of, the outcome is going to be the same. Right? We have to change the environment within the homes and how our children are taking in media. So this is you know very important thing, inshallah ta'ala, for all of us. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ Again, I want to leave this with a, a few pieces of practical advice. Please do not put a computer in your child's room. If you want to put a computer, put it in the kitchen, put it in the living room. Don't face it against the wall, face it against the outside so anybody walks in can see what's going on in the screen. Right? Do not make sure, make sure you check the histories and make, have software that can recover the internet histories on your browsers so you can find out if your child has a Facebook account or a MySpace account and what their, you know, uh, username is because they will have other usernames and you don't even know your children are living double lives and they are believe me there's a lot going on out there you know and you'll find it and you'll be shocked how can this be but you have to you have to get involved in your children's life and the final piece of advice don't freak out because we come from a culture when our children disappoint us in the least bit then we say, how could you do this to me, your disappointment? You know, we come from a culture where the child gets an 88 on the exam, and he's so proud of himself, and he comes to the father and says, Dad, I got an 88. Okay, next time get a 90. And you get a 90, why didn't you get a 100? What's the matter with you? Right? There's always you could have done more. There's no appreciation of our children. Right? And so when something like this, you find out your boy was, you know, your, your, your son comes to you one day and says, you know, Dad, this girl asked me to go to the prom. And he just comes to you not knowing what your reaction is going to be. Poor kid, well, he, he asked the wrong question. Then you, you ask, oh, what is prom, bete? And then you, <laughs> then you tell him, then the child tells him the, what the prom is, and my goodness, you know, it's like his, you know, the extra hair fell off the head, and he's screaming, we brought you to America for this, and you give him a beating, and you yell at him, and you tell the mother, and you know, all kinds of craziness inside the house. This child will swear to himself, that if next time there is a girl talking to him, or anything like that, the last person he will ever tell is who? You. The mother, the sister, the brother, he will not tell you. Who will he tell? His non-Muslim friends that will say, yeah, that's awesome man, go for it. That's who he's gonna tell. So you have to learn to take it, and be able to deal with it. You cannot deal with it if you freak out. Because that would have worked in Pakistan, maybe. It would have worked in Bangladesh, it would have worked somewhere else, it's not gonna work here. It is not going to work here. Your children will simply shut you out. There will be someone outside, and someone else when they walk inside those doors. There will just be someone else. I can tell you this from personal experience. Wallahi, I've seen this many, many times. Children are totally different. Totally different people. Like you wouldn't recognize them when they are at school, when they are on campus, as opposed to when they're at home. Completely unrecognizable. And the parents would have no idea. They're completely oblivious because all they care about is the report card. The report card's good, everything else is good. Let me get you this, let me get you, let me get you a cell phone of your own, and I'm not going to check your phone history. Nor will I receive your bill and go through all the phone numbers. Who's been calling you? I don't need to do that because, you know, it's a good boy, get grades. You know, boys with good grades and girls with good grades in this society, Muslim society, have drinking problems, have drug problems, have boyfriend, girlfriend problems, and that's the reality. So let's wake up to it, right? We have to face these things. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ has to become a movement within the Muslim community. We have to gather our youth together and talk about these things and help them cope with these things. Because what we're asking to, them to do, these things, this is crazy. Did you know, and I, don't be shocked by this, you go to high school, and many of the high schools, and if, if you haven't you know, committed zina, 
then you're an object of ridicule. And this guy hasn't even done anything yet. You know, he's still just a kid. They're being made fun of because they haven't committed zina. Imagine that. And that's the culture in which they are. So what we are asking them to do is making them the object of ridicule among their peers. This is a very difficult thing for them to be asked to do. And if we don't have any, any measures of supporting them, of having them talk to someone, of letting these feelings out, these frustrations out, giving them alternative venues, then we have monumentally failed. You know, the, the, the signs of our failure are when we are having talks and our children are not here. Our youth are not here. Because they have no interest in being here. And that's our fault, not their fault. We have to make the masajid interesting for our youth. Otherwise, it starts with lagu and it ends with fasha. It starts with lagu. It starts with wasting their time and eventually when you waste your time, you find the worst things to do with your time. And that is what this society is calling you towards. So this is very, very serious business. For our personal selves, illa ala azwajihim aw mamalakat aymanuhum fa malumin. But they, they only guard, they don't guard their privates in regards to their spouses or what their right hands possess. And, and in those cases, they are not to be blamed. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll discuss the spousal relationship tomorrow, inshallah. And it's going to be PG-13, so uh, don't bring your younger kids tomorrow. Because we have to discuss, this is an important subject, of preserving your own, uh, you know, haya, your own shame, inside the house, even after you're married. Before you're married, you're thinking, oh man, once I get married, I won't ever be tempted again. And after you get married, you say, what happened here? <laughs> so we have to discuss this subject. Because it is a problem for a lot of husbands and a lot of wives. You know, the fahsha is still attacking them. And the shaitan, all he wants to do is ruin marriages, right? So we have to address this subject and take it head on, inshaAllah ta'ala. So we'll discuss this ayah when it comes tomorrow. Also, what we'll discuss tomorrow, bi'idnillah, is the issue of what your right hands possess, which is supposed to be some controversy, right? These concubines, these, these Muslims, they allow for women to be owned and all this kind of stuff. We'll discuss that subject tomorrow. Barakallahu wa lakum fil Qur'an hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyyakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.